0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. Dean Smith perfectly
1: fouled. Me. I made six straight free throws for us to went the win out by four points. So at the end of the game, Dean Smith pulled me to the side and said, young fella, I had to foul you because I'm looking at the number. You were sixty-seven percent from the free throw line. I said, oh, Dean. I said, look, you didn't know I was 95% in the clutch. <laughs> so be that.
0: <laughs> and our guest this week is Terrell Stokes, a Philadelphia basketball legend, a star at Simon Gratz, who went on to a great career at Maryland and is now the head men's basketball coach at Cheney University. And first of all, thanks so much for the time and congratulations on the uh, new opportunity.
1: Uh, thanks again, and thanks for having me.
0: Why was Cheney the right job at the right time for you right now?
1: Well, I just had a soft spot in my heart for Cheney. And I've been trying to get to Cheney University for the past four years. You know, so just a little complications that went and just prolonged my time with getting here and, you know, being in, the business, being in the business for so long, you know, being assistant coach for 20 years, you know, the ultimate pinnacle is to be a head coach. And, you know, and the opportunity came and at the right time, and I just thought, you know, it was the best fit for the both of us
0: you're getting the job a little late in the game how much of a challenge does that make you're what only probably about a month away from from the opener
1: yeah I mean you know getting in you know you have to start practice you have to get a team you know you have to familiarize yourself with the team you know the first scrimmage on October the 29th so you have a couple weeks to put some things in you know so it's some challenges you know but it's nothing that you haven't seen before you know, so before you didn't have preseason and was able to put basketball plays in before you start October 15th and had two weeks prior. So, you know, it's back to them days. You know, so I've been in the game long enough to understand and, you know, and just have to get over the hump and, you know, get these guys ready to play.
0: Cheney fans, what should they expect from a style standpoint? Uh, what do you got? What are you going to focus on? What are you going to stress?
1: Oh, you got to have some toughness. You know, you got to play some defense. You know, I come from a staple of, you know, Simon Grats High School. You know, Under Bill Ellerby, you know, Bill Ellerby always stressed defense and, you know, Gary Williams at University of Maryland stressed defense, you know. So that's all, that's how I made my way, you know, as, a, as an athlete, you know, playing defense. So that's my staple. You know, you're going to be some tough nosed kids. You're going to have to grind it out. You're going to play some defense, you know, get up and down, you know, and make, let us dictate the play.
0: Was coaching always something in the back of your mind when you were playing that you thought was going to eventually be a part of? Of your career, or was it something that you're kind of done playing, and you want to stay in the game, so you look at that as an avenue
1: i mean, if you look at most coaches, I guess around the country on any on any level, you know it's almost almost point guards you know that coach the game because you know. Who is the extension of the coach on the floor, you know, so we have to know every play, we got to help everybody out. You know, we got to bring the ball up the floor. We got the ball 90% of the time. We got to know the offense and defense got to call things out. So you almost, you know, in that role already as a player, you know, so I just transitioned into, into the position, you know, and I got done playing and just wanted to help, you know, a bunch of kids out that didn't get opportunities, you know, to get recruited and things of that nature. So that's one of the reasons why I got into the business.
0: You mentioned Bill Ellerby, you mentioned Gary Williams. You had the, the joy of playing for just two legendary coaches. How much of you as a coach has pieces of them?
1: I mean, a whole lot, you know, a lot, you know, because, you know, being under them two programs teach you a whole lot about the game of basketball and the game of life. You know, so that's what you want to instill into your team. You know, what you taught, you know, your experiences and things of that nature. So, because they're going to ask questions. Oh, you've been at Simon Grass, Oh, you played at the University of Maryland. Oh, you played with Steve Francis. Oh, you played with Ron Dixon. You played with Rashid Wallace. So the questions come on and on and on. So they want to know about them things. So you just want to pass along the knowledge that you have, you know, just to help them out.
0: Looking, researching your life, and reading about you, you had a lot of challenges growing up in Philadelphia. How do you describe your childhood?
1: I think it was a great childhood, you know. I think I wouldn't change anything in the world because it just made me grow up so much faster and understand the world much better, you know. When you've been on your own as a young age and going through the trials and tribulations that you went through, you know, and it helps, you know, when you're going out recruiting, you know, kids in the urban areas, you know, letting them know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel because you walk the same streets they walk, went through the same struggles they went through, you know. You just keep your mind on the prize. You knowing your eyes on the prize, then you could definitely make it out, you know, because the world is much bigger than any urban community that you're in, you know, and I'm a walking testament of that. So I wouldn't change anything, you know, of my childhood at all.
0: You had some times I growing up, I would imagine, where you kind of hit a crossroads, where life could have gone in one or two different directions. And obviously, you were able to overcome. You had some run-ins with law enforcement, stuff like that. Was there a moment when things crystallized, what you wanted life to be, and you wanted to choose the path that that led you on. Now, do you remember a a moment when when it kind of crystallized for you?
1: No, it, it always was crystallized. You know, I, I just had to sacrifice my life and my family at that particular juncture. You know, when that I was nine years old and I was I had the you know the ability to be ahead of my family at nine years old. That's the position that was the cards I was dealt. You know, you had to do certain things at that age, you know, to provide for your family, you know, make sure you got lights on, make sure you could eat and make sure you had school supplies. Because I went to school every single day. You know, I was an A-B student. So the crystallizing, you know, of my life was already there. Me going to school and playing basketball, you know, at the particular junction at night, I just had to be an entrepreneur, you know, to provide for my family, you know, and make sure that we had the, you know, necessary things to survive you know, and that's what you do when you have to take care, take on responsibility of being the head of the family, you know? So my life was already going to go to school and play basketball. That was already a done deal. You know, that wasn't going to change at all, you know, just because I had a little crossroads and had to, you know, do a little things to, you know, derail that for, you know, 16 months, but that always in place that I was going to go to college and play basketball and try to reach my dream of playing in the NBA.
0: So Simon Gratz, the the numbers at Simon Gratz. I think you guys were the number one team in the nation. Was that your sophomore year? You went thirty one and 0. Uh, Correct. uh what was it like playing in that program and having that level of success and at that young age did you realize how special it was or did it just seem natural because you don't quite you know you don't have the life experience to to appreciate what you're a part of <laughs>
1: No, we knew it was special. You know, we knew Bill Elliott was special because, to me, he's one of the top ten coaches in any sport of all time, you know, to do what he did, and you know, for that long period of time and longevity that he had of coaching, you know, and bringing everybody together. Because normally, you know, when you're playing high school basketball, you're coming from your neighborhood to play high school basketball. You know, he had people and, and players from all parts of the city. And he did not recruit not one player. You know, and I think that's was the difference in his success because he had one common goal. We all had one common goal because we all starting to meet each other when we got to Simon Gratz because I didn't grow up in North Philadelphia. I grew up in South Philadelphia, like Jamal Redman grew up in West Philadelphia. You know, Rasheed Wilder was up in Mount Airy, you know, Red Sean Red Smith and Lennar Stewart, and was from North Philadelphia. So we all had to meet at Gratz. You know, then we had to start getting along and had a camaraderie ship, but that all came from the head, you know, you know, Mr. L, you know, and Nate Smeagle, you know, who was the assistant coach at the time as well. So, you know, we knew it was special, you know, just the way he ran the program, how he ran the program, what he expected from us, you know, and his expectations of us, you know, because he had the same expectation of himself, you know, so the things he instilled in us, you know, I still use to this day, you know, so I always knew it was a special program.
0: Did you always gravitate to being a point guard? Like I'm talking when you're younger because all kids want to score and want to be the, you know, the, the person getting all the points and stuff like that. But were you always of that mentality of facilitator, distributor, make sure everything's taken care of? Yeah, because
1: it goes back to my childhood. So it goes back to my childhood, me being the head of my family at nine years old. So, you know, I was almost like born a leader, you know, so I always wanted to lead you know, and to lead, you have to have the ball in your hands, you know, so, you know, I didn't grow to be six, five or six, six, you know, I I just grew to be six foot, you know, and that was it. So I had to use my quickness and my IQ of the game, but I always wanted the ball in my hands to make everybody else better because that goes back from my childhood. I had to make my family better. You know, I had to make the people around me better. My uncles and my aunts, you know, my grandparents and things of that nature. So, you know, it just, to me, it just go hand in hand, you know, my my life story and, you know, basketball, you know, me being a point guard, you know, for a long period of time to this day. You know, I still say that to my players today. You know, it's when I had a first meeting with, you know, the team at Chain University, you know, and they said, well, how do you remember my name? I say, because I'm a point guard, you know, <laughs> so I still use that to this day.
0: What was it about Bill Ellerby that made him so great? Because it has to go beyond X's and O's.
1: He just cared. He cared about your well-being. He cared about your life. You know, he wanted so much more for you. He was like a father figure to all of us. And, you know, the way he lived his life, you know, clean, you know, very structured, very giving. You know, he gave himself, you know, to us, you know. And I thank his wife, Carol, you know, for allowing him, you know, to give, you know, him to us. You know, because without him, you know, who knows where a lot of us would be, you know, so he was that special.
0: What is what's your first memory of your days at Gratz? Like what's the, you know, early in your career, what is the first memory that really sticks in your head about what playing basketball at Gratz was all about?
1: We had to run cross country before we played basketball. That's my first memory. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We got to run cross country to play basketball? So we starting in September when everybody else is starting in December. You know, so that was my first memory, you know, because we did not touch a ball. We did not touch a ball. So the first thing you do is we met right there on 17th of Huntington Park. I said, well, what are we meeting here for? He said, oh, you got to run, you know, you got to run the short course. I said, well, what is the short course? He said, follow the pack. I said, follow the pack? He said, yeah, the pack will show you where you need to go. You know, so I'm following Rashid and them, and we're running around the streets of North Philadelphia. I said, well, this is what we do before we play basketball. So that was my very first
0: memory. Rasheed Wallace, what was he like to play with? I mean, he was fun.
1: You know, it's fun to play with, you know, ultimate talent, obviously, you know, and should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, in the NBA, he should be a Hall of Famer. You know, he had uncanny skills. He could run like a deer. You know, he could jump. He got timing. He had IQ to gain. He could shoot the basketball. So he had all facets of the game. Ultimately racist. Someone beat me. I know Raj was there to block the shot. So, you know, playing with someone like that makes your job much easier.
0: So we talked to our, I mentioned your sophomore year. You go, you guys go 31 and 0, win the Philadelphia championship and number one team in the country. What was that year like to be playing at that high level, to be getting that type of attention? Um, and was it hard to not uh, get sucked in by it and lose focus?
1: Well, we were so grounded because Mr. L, you know, didn't care about any pressing, any newspapers, any ESPN. He didn't care about none of that. So we were so grounded, you know, we didn't really even really notice it. Almost, you know, it almost was like second nature to us, you know, and then going on the road it was almost like the Ringling brothers, you know, how they went on the road. It was the greatest show on, like we was the greatest show on the court, you know? So we were just traveling around playing the best teams in America, you know, and winning like easily. I think we only had like two close games, you know, that year, I think the Matha, you know, down at Myrtle beach, you know, when we was playing against Morgan and when they tried to get him his thousand win against us and they found Rashid while I was out the second quarter, He's the to one play in the country. Y'all found him out in the second quarter. I mean, it's incredible. So me and Ray and Sean Smith held the ball for the whole entire third quarter. The whole entire third quarter. Because they were just trying to get Morgan Wooden his thousand win. We was not gonna let him get that on our watch, cause we was no one in the nation. We trying to win a national championship. You know, so we held the ball the whole third quarter and won the game by six points in the fourth quarter. You know, so. Things like, things like that, you know, traveling on the road when they know, okay, some grads coming down one team country, we got to do whatever we got to do to beat them. You know, and we just didn't allow that to happen. You know, and we definitely prevailed to win the national championship that year.
0: When do you start getting attention from colleges? Do you remember when the, the first coach talked to you or Coach Ellerby said so-and-so's here or you got your first letter? Do you remember when you started to get the feel that colleges were really interested in you?
1: My summer, the summer of my ninth grade year going to my 10th grade year, you know, so I'm at five star camp. I got invited to ABCD camp and things of that nature. So when you get invited to them camps and starting to be around, the, you know, your class, you know, people and players around the country, you know, now you're starting to get noticed because you're starting to get invited, you know. So now it's starting to be to me, the Stephon Marberries, the, you know, Chauncey Billups and you know, the Vince Carters and stuff. So now we all starting to be in the same group, same camp, same places, you know. So that started, you know, the summer before my sophomore year.
0: Was it overwhelming or (coughs) just, you know, at that young age to be getting that type of attention and you mentioned the names and I'm sure you had contacts from big time college coaches. Uh, Was it hard to stay in the moment and not going to get carried away with it?
1: No, it wasn't because it was just, it was normal. It was normal because, you know, as a young age, you played big time basketball, <clears throat> you know? So back then it was like the pow league, you know? So you playing a national power. So you start the traveling with the national power league, you know? So 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, we're playing on that high level. So now going into high school, you know, it's almost like, OK, this is what's supposed to happen. So it was almost like second nature to us, you know, being that five star, being that ABCD. So it wasn't like an overwhelming experience at all, you know, because I think my sophomore year, I started playing for the USA teams. You know, so now we're over in Germany and Argentina and, you know, Switzerland and all these places, you know, playing against them. So it's almost like, OK, yeah, this was supposed to happen and it's normal, you know, so you can act normal It's no getting big headed or think you're better than someone else or so forth and so on, you know, because we were just so grounded from Mr. L teaching, you know, so it was just normal
0: for us. What was the light like plan in all those foreign countries and traveling to that extent? Because I think it's, you know, traveling like you mentioned, Myrtle Beach and all for at the high school level, that's really something, let alone international. Was that, you know, what what was that experience like?
1: I mean, it was great. You know, it was great. And I always tell people, you know, from a seven to nine pound ball that it could take me around the world and see different places. You know, it was incredible. You know, it's definitely a life experience to see how, you know, they live in other countries, you know, the languages and, you know, the food and things of that nature. I just thought it was great. It was just, just great life experience. And then being around, the you know, the guys that you're traveling with as well you know, that you don't live with. You got to learn them too as well. You got to learn the coaches and, you know, to able to, you know, bring back gold medals and things of that nature, just playing when practicing with guys for two weeks, you know, down in Colorado Springs, because that's where the USA facility was. So you had to go to Colorado Springs first. Then from Colorado Springs, you go to, you know, wherever you're going to, you know, to play in these tournaments. So, you know, I just think it was an awesome experience, you know, and I'm just glad I was a part of it.
0: Did you have one, you know, as you look back, was there a favorite place that you traveled to that you were just like, this is incredible?
1: Yeah, like Germany, <laughs> like <laughs> Germany. <laughs> I step off the plane, I walk, I say, oh, my God, I see security guards with AK-47s and dogs. I say, oh, wow, this is what's going on in Germany. So then we go into the bus, we walk out outside the, the terminal and outside the airport. There's a bunch of Mercedes benzes so I said, why are all these Mercedes Benz out here? And they was taxi cabs. I said, oh my God, they got Mercedes Benz as taxi cabs. <clears throat> I said, <laughs> so I said, I know what I'm doing when I get to the hotel. I'm gonna get in a taxi cab and go to McDonald's or something because I wanna see how this taxi cab is in Germany that's Mercedes Benz's. And then on top of that, there's no speed limit on expressway. I said, wait, are you telling me they have no speed limit in Germany on the expressway, so you go as fast as you want, no one going to bother you? I said, we got to call, I think, who is the president of the United States, then Bush. We got to call Bush in. Oh, no, probably Clinton. We got to call him, and we got to implement this because we don't need no speed limits in the United States on the expressway to alleviate the traffic.
0: You've mentioned a lot of guys you got the chance to play with at Gratz and on these U.S. teams and stuff. Who would you say is the best player you played with prior to college?
1: The best player I played with prior to college. I I can't say one. It's a group. You know, it's a group of them. You know, like Stefan Marbury, you know, Rashid Wallace obviously, you know, my whole Simon Gratz team, you know, all of them from Sean Smith and Leonard Stewart, Michael Blunt, Brian Samuels, you know, Eric Lackey, Jamal Redmond, you know, Rondell Turner. You know, James Newt Smith, all my high school teammates was great, you know, and playing in the camps and things of that nature with a bunch of guys, you know, in my class. Sharif, I do. Raheem was on my teams and camps, you know, me and Stefan played together and Sham Godwell's played together in the five star all star games. You know, so, you know, I mean, just my whole class alone, us playing with each other, you know, in these USA games, USA practices and things of that nature, you know, so it's just not one player, you know, it's definitely a, you know, a plethora of players that I played with. That's, you know, was really, really good.
0: Your time at Gratz, we talked about 31 and zero. we talked about that game against DeMatha. What are some other, when you think of your time at Gratz, what are some other memories that come rushing to the top?
1: Well, people didn't, well, probably people don't understand, you know, at Gratz, especially during that run where he's, no, 31 and 0. You know, we only played in two quarters. We played the like our starting five, we played the first and third quarter. That was it. And we always said that our second team was the second best team in the country. And they played the second and fourth quarter. You know, so it was like we only played 16 minutes a game. If you really look at it, we played 16 minutes a game. You know, everybody else is getting their whole 32 minutes. They the star of their high school team. We only play 16 minutes. We played a half a game, you know, and out this thing, you know, that's one that really stands out to me. You know, we only played that amount of time, you know, but what really stands out other than, you know, basketball, we had to play other sports. You know, we ran cross country, we ran track, we played baseball, and we played basketball, you know, so after the season, your season is not over. You know, you got to go in the track field. You got to go play baseball, you know, and all that was basically mandatory. You know, so I just think this gave us a lot of experience, you know. And and then in the summertime, we you know, we had a summer team. So we was in about three or four leagues that we all had to play with each other. So, you know, so it was a year-round, you know, program. Where some schools you just play just basketball, you know, and you just done for a couple months, you know. But for us, it was a year-round, you know, program.
0: With kids coming up these days, it is so much specialization. Like you start playing basketball and it's all basketball. Or you start – How much did that variation of sports and playing other sports, how did it help you uh, from a a, did it help maybe develop skills that you didn't realize? And how much did it just prevent you from getting burnt out and give you another outlet so you weren't kind of doing the same thing over and over again?
1: Well, that's the genius of, you know, Mr. L. That's why I think he is a genius, because now when we run across country, he's building up your lungs. You know, so now you could be in tip top shape. So now when basketball come, I mean, when we was playing teams, I mean, they bent over in the second quarter. We just getting started, you know, so now after the season, you're going to run track to keep the same, you know, intensity of being in shape. And then you're going to play baseball with hand out coordination. So everything tied in together to basketball. You know, so that's what the, a genius he was—that he's gonna make us do these other sports to keep us engaged in our skill set, you know, and also make sure that we constantly, constantly competing. You know, so on. We didn't want to run cross country, but as soon as we got out there, our competitive juices started flowing. So now we really want to—we now we really want to win right we really want to win now we don't want these other schools beating us you know so that's that's the genius on his part to make us stay in a competitive mode so now when basketball come it's just second nature
0: time for a break on one-on-one we will have more with new cheney men's basketball coach terrell stokes right after this when someone at kyw news radio goes out to cover a story there's a lot that just doesn't make it on the radio i cannot believe this is going on in a world of lazy arguments it's one of the laziest i'm jay scott smith and I talk to my colleagues about everything you didn't get to hear on the air on the podcast, The Rundown, from KYW News Radio. Listen free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, former Simon Gratz basketball star and current Cheney University head men's basketball coach Terrell Stokes. So we mentioned you went to Maryland for college. As I was reading and looking up, it came down to Maryland and Temple. And one story I read said that the day you were going to announce, it was still kind of up in the air and that uh, Coach Ellerby actually, uh, he said this to the reporter. I told him if he doesn't make his choice by second period, we're canceling the press conference. What do you remember <laughs> about that?
1: <laughs> well, I just know. Well, uh, I think I'm, hopefully I got the day right. I think on a Wednesday, I suppose I had a press conference. Right. And it got delayed till Thursday. If I would have signed on that Wednesday, I would have went to Temple. That delay in that day. I had to think about it. And that would made me go, you know, to the University of Maryland, you know, because Temple is the only school in Philadelphia I really allowed to recruit me, you know, because John Chaney and my high school coach, Bill Ellerby was best of friends. So people don't know. We used to have to go to Coach Cheney practices five o'clock in the morning, you know, during our time at Gratz, you know, just to go watch them practice, <clears throat> you know, and I told Coach Cheney, you know, when he was recruiting me, I said, listen, if you change your practices to three o'clock in the afternoon, i sign right now. he just laughed he laughed at me he said well why I said because I don't think I could come 5 a.m because I've been doing that when I was in high school coming to your practice just sitting there and sometimes you just talk for two hours I said can you do that at three o'clock in the afternoon I said then we'd be on the same page I said I was signing right now if I could come at three o'clock in the afternoon we both made a I mean, you know, till he passed away, we both laughed at that every time he saw me or every time he talked to Mr. L, he told him that story all the time, you know, which was so funny, you know, but that's one of the main reasons, you know, ACC, you know, was the best conference at the time. Merlin was the best conference and, you know, in one of the best conferences and it was up and coming school. And, you know, having some great history there and, you know, the Lynn biases, the Walt Williams of the world, you know, before I got there, Joe Smith were number two in the draft before I got there. So, you know, I just thought that school was definitely up on the rise and I wanted to play in the best conference. You know, and the ACC was the best conference and it was only two hours away from Philadelphia where my family could get there and watch me play.
0: You had played at such a high level to this point, but was there a transition point when you go to Maryland and you're playing at the Division One level or did you feel pretty comfortable right away
1: i was comfortable right away i just think the only transition was from mr l to gary williams you know i just think the coaching transition so i think my first couple weeks you know i'm like well coach williams we don't Gary, we don't. I don't think he's supposed to do it this way. He's supposed to do it that way. Well, why do you say this way? Well, Mr. L said I had to do it this way. So, (laughs) so the first two weeks was like, okay, Terrell, you have to learn the way I do things. And this, and third, Mr. L is not here no more. So the first two weeks, you know, I'm in his office every single day, and we try to get on the same page. And by the third week, we got on the same page, and the rest is history.
0: That is very unusual for a young player. I think to be that open and and vocal with the coach was he used to that Gary Williams
1: no he wasn't used to that he said I was the first player that ever did that you know with him you know but he handed me the keys to the car so if you're going to hand me the keys to the car I got to look. I got to make sure everybody in the car you know is on the same page you know and it has to start with me you know because he gave me the keys you know so I said well one thing we have to do we got to get on the same page you know, so I went up to his office. And I said, you know, Gary, we got to get on the same page. He said, what do you mean? To her? I said, because you're saying one thing. I'm saying a different thing. I don't want to confuse the other players. I don't want to tell them one thing. You're telling them another thing and they be confused. I said, so we need to get on the same page with terminologies, what you want from me, what you want the team, you know, because I'm just used to this certain way because I was just so, you know, and better with Bill Ellerby. Like, I'm thinking he's the greatest ever. So there's nothing anybody else could say but him. this how it's supposed to be. You know, so I had to change my way of thinking. It was like, okay, people teach the same thing in different ways. So I just got to get the terminologies and everything together. And me and Gary did that, and we had a great success for four years.
0: How much does that openness, though, I, I can't imagine it just doesn't foster a great relationship because there's no, well, I thought you meant this, or I thought you – it's just out on the table. Listen, you want me to do this? This is how I say it. Let's. How do we work together to make this the best we can be?
1: Exactly, and I welcome that with my players. You know, come in my office, sit down. Let's get on the same page. Let's make sure we all going in the game with the same game plan. You know, we all speak in the same language. You know, that just you know helps your team get be better and be stronger in the camaraderie ship between you and the coaches and the rest of the team. You know, can nothing come between that? You know, if you have that, can't nothing come between that. And I just think that's why me and Gary, you know, and our teams that we have for them four years had so much success, you know, because we can have a dialogue. We can have conversation. You know, it wasn't no egos, you know, yeah, Gary, I was wrong about that. You know, what's this or what's that, you know? Oh yeah. Terrell, you know, you was right about that. Okay. Let's go on with this. You know, so the back and forth dialogue was great, you know, especially in film sessions and things of that nature. So when you have that, you know, kind of openness, you know, I just think it, you know, is a recipe for success.
0: Did you have any of your teammates going, yeah, how do you do that? Because I would imagine for a lot of, a lot of players are looking at that. Like I've never talked with a coach like that. I've never had open discussions like that. Did that catch your teammates off guard or even opposing players? If they saw like, you know, during the game, stuff like that.
1: I mean, yeah, it did catch them off guard, but that was just my personality. You know, that was my personality because I just want to, you know, I want to win for one, you know, for two, you know, me having the ball in my hands, I got to make sure that I got to take care of the rest of the team because now they're looking for me, you know, they're looking at me to be, to lead them, you know, so I help, you know, their career. Okay. I go to Gary and, and talk to him about the round profit or talk to him about Steve Francis, or this is how we need to get Terrence Mars, the ball. Well, being need to do X, Y, Z. So, you know, and having that dialogue with them. So now, I can have a conversation with the team. This is what we're going to do. This is how I'm going to get you the ball. You need to do X, Y, Z, so forth, and so on. So it's an extension from Gary to me to them. You know, so now when we're on the floor, we're in, you know, we're in Duke or we're in North Carolina, you know, NC State, and we're playing on the road, we're all on the same page. And that's how, you know, we were able to win, you know, a lot of games because, you know, we all had that trust and that camaraderie shit.
0: You guys had a ton of success at Maryland, NCAA tournaments, Sweet 16, What are your, kind of the same question I asked you about grads, what are your favorite Maryland memories?
1: I mean, there's a bunch of them. You know, there's a bunch of memories that I have, you know, obviously, you know, getting to the tournament every year, you know, being able to start and playing on national television, you know, the players, the fans, you know, the teammates, you know, being on the road, you know, being able to you know, win on the road, like winning North Carolina and things of that nature. You know, on my birthday, I think we won one time, coming back from 21 points down, you know, coming back and winning by 10, you know. And I think one moment, I think when I was a freshman, (laughs) and I mean, it's a funny moment. I was a freshman and we beat in, you know, North Carolina. And I think we was only up like two. And I think we was in the one and one. And as a freshman, I was shooting 67% from the free throw line. You know, and Dean Smith perfectly fouled me, you know, to put me on the line and see if I missed, you know, and I made six straight free throws down the stretch for us to pull the win out by four points. Right. So at the end of the game, Dean Smith pulled me to the side and said, young fella, I had to foul you, you know, because I'm looking at the number. you were 67 from the free throw line. I said, oh, Dean. I said, but you didn't know I was 95% in the clutch. Right. So he laughed. <laughs> so he laughed, you know, hit me on my shoulder. We walked fast. You know, that was one of the great moments I'd never forget, you know, with you know, with Dean Smith.
0: What was your favorite opposing place to play? You mentioned North Carolina. I mean, you're going, you've played in some just legendary arenas in front of hostile fans. Uh, was there one place that really stands out as just the most fun, or the most fun to shut the opposing fans up with a big win, or or stuff like that? Who's at the top of the list? Gotta
1: say, Rupp Arena. You no, know, Rupp Arena. I think that was probably one of the. Uh, that was a big, 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 big game. That was a big game. I think my senior year, we number two in the country. I think we are about fourteen and oh. You know, if we win that game, we go to number one in the country, you know, it's 24, 25,000, you know, fans, you know, they like the pro team in Kentucky, you know, so I just think that place, you know, is unbelievable. It's unbelievable to play. I think they had Wayne Turner, Taysha Prince, you know, Mishui Evans. I think they had a, you know, about four pros on that team, you know, and it went down to the wire and they end up beating us, I think, by two points. You know, Mishui Evans had a, you know, a great game, it was on ABC, you know it was like none but you know blue shirts you know a sea of blue all around you know 24,000 you know yelling and screaming right there on top of the game so you know if i had to pick one arena i would pick that
0: you hold the record i think for most assists in a game at maryland 15 uh western carolina i think it was opening night your junior or senior year am i am i correct
1: yeah one of the two yes
0: what was that game, like 15 assists in a college game, is a lot of assists. Um, yes. You know, what was it like? Did you realize you set the record? What does it mean to you?
1: I mean, you know, all, all individual accomplishments, you know, mean something. You know, and I actually, I broke my own record because I set, I think, one my freshman year. When I had 14 assists in a game, when I broke Keith Gatlin, 13 assists record, you know, and get to come back to break my own record. You know, it was great. You know, I always say it was like, I don't know if you remember the Minnesota Vikings when they had Dante Culpepper as the quarterback, when he had Randy Moss, Chris Carter and the boys. And, you know, that's how it was for me. You know, Steve Francis, Leron Ron Prophet, Terrence Mars, you know, you close your eyes, you know, you're going to get an assist. So, you know, it was fun for me, you know, passing them to them guys, you know, playing high, throwing lobs and things of that nature. So I think we won the game by like 60. I don't even remember, but I think we won that Western Carolina game by like 60. You know, so it was just fun, you know, having fun throwing lobs, you know, getting the crowd excited and, you know, having the stage full of stars to pass the ball to ain't nothing better.
0: What was it like the moments when you you talked about hitting the foul shots at Carolina, but what was it like those moments when you felt like, you know, I need to be the aggressor here offensively? Were there moments you thought like that, and was it tough to to flip the switch from facilitator to a guy who's looking to take a shot?
1: No, it wasn't tough. You just now know when to pick your spots, like against Illinois in the you know, around the 32 in Anaheim, California, where I had to carry this team down the stretch, you know, and I had to score the ball, you know, you know games like that in the tournament. So you just got to pick your spots where you know you got to score, you know, you got to carry the team and pick the team up, you know, just to get us going. You know, like against Virginia on the road my sophomore year, you know, I had to pick the team up. So, you know, in the moments, you know, when you played at that level, you understand, you know, when you got to turn it on, when you got to turn it off. You know, when you got to score, when you got to shoot the ball, you know, when you got to make a play to say, come on, we got to get going. You know, so you just know that, you know, you you know, when you got to do it, you know, that feeling, you know, so it's just not a scripted thing. But you just know when you have to do it.
0: Talked about what made Bill Elderby great. What do you think made Gary Williams great?
1: <laughs> I think what made Gary Williams great, the understanding of his players you know, understanding what he had, you know, when he had Joe Smith, he was going down low every single time, you know, now Joe Smith's leaves, now what we do, we got to play fast, now we're pressing and running every possession, you know, so now when we leave, now what do you do with Juan Dixon and, you know, you know, control the tempo, control the game, you know, and score now he wins the national championship, so I just think his adaptiveness of his teams, you know, what really made him great.
0: You have a f- fantastic college career, and then you don't get drafted. How disappointing by the NBA?
1: It wasn't a disappointment at all. You know, I went to a, as a free agent to the Toronto Raptors. You know, Norm Nixon was my agent, you know, at the time. You know, so it wasn't disappointing because I think I gave everything to the game. You know, I could walk away with my head, you know, hell high I have no regrets, you know, about what I did because I did it the right way. You know, sometimes it, that's how the ball bounced. You know, at that level it's all, you know, political and things of that nature and it's timing and you know, the game's always changing and evolving, you know, so it was no regrets, you know, whatsoever. You know, and I tell, you know, a lot of people that a lot of people have regrets. Oh, I should have did this or I should have did that better. No, I did everything the way I was supposed to have done it. You know, so I won't look when I look back on it, I can walk around with my head up high, you know, just because I didn't play fifteen years in the league, it's not a big deal to me.
0: Did you ever consider going overseas and playing?
1: No, I wasn't going to go overseas. I had a deal on the table to go overseas, but I wasn't going to go, you know, because I had a daughter at the time, you know, Sherelle. Actually, she was born in 94 before I went to college, you know, so I played overseas, you know, in high school, you know, and at that particular time was really rough, you know, playing overseas, you know, so I didn't want to bring her into that environment, you know, so I just said, okay, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to finish up your degrees. You're going to go to school, you know, get into coaching, next phase of life. You know, you're going to be successful doing that.
0: So how does the door open to coaching? I mean, everything, this entire discussion has been a, a brilliant kind of thesis on what it takes to be a great coach. What's your first opportunity? How do you get in?
1: Well, back in that time, you know, you, you went and did camps. You know, you did camps. You stayed around the game. You know, and that was the best way to get in doing camps. You know, doing camps at you know any university like Gary Williams had camps. You know, he hired some players, and players came to his university for camps. You know, you you know just stay around the game. You know, back at the time, if you need to get an AU team or you know anything of that nature, or you know, you let people know, oh, I want to be a coach. You know, so Gary Williams could vouch for you, or you know, Bill Elliott could vouch for you, and you know, maybe you have to volunteer somewhere you know, or be a GA somewhere. So back in that time, that was the best way to get into coaching. You know, nowadays, you know, everything done changed, everything done evolved. So it's about basically like who you know and your resources, you know, and people pushing for you to get, you know, into the business. You know, I just think that's the best way now.
0: Did you, Now you start at the college level at Elizabeth City State, correct? Yes. How did that opportunity come about?
1: Well, Dave Dickerson, who was my assistant coach at Maryland, you know, new Sean Walker and Alfred Johnson, who was the assistant coach there at the time, who's from Philadelphia, who also I know. You know, Alfred Johnson took another opportunity, so that opened up the doors there. You know, but prior to me getting there, I had my own AAU team as well, you know, in the state of Maryland. You know, and I used to practice at, you know, college, you used to practice in College Park, you know, at the Cole Fieldhouse. You know, Gary Williams used to let me, allow me to have a gym there. You know, and I used to practice there and I had some kids that went, you know, D1 and things of that nature. And that propelled me to get to, you know, Elizabeth City State University because I already had some coaching experience. You know, so Dave Dickerson put a phone call in for me. Alfred Johnson put a phone call in for me. I interviewed with Sean Walker and he said, come on, Terrell, let's come aboard. You know, so I went there for what, six months, seven months. And then Jimmy Patsos get the, like all the jobs. You know, and the rest is history. He called me up and said, come on, Terrell. I said, where are we going? And it was April the 1st. So I'm thinking he's playing an April Fool's joke <laughs> on me. <laughs> he said, pack your stuff. I, see, I said, where am I going? He said, you're going to Loyola with me. I said, what do you mean? I didn't hear you got the Loyola job. He said, I got the Loyola job. I need you to be here on April the 2nd. I said, are you playing an April Fool's joke on me? He said, no, I need you to be here at 9 o'clock in the morning on April the 2nd at Loyola campus. I said, okay, cool. And that's how I got to Loyola and the rest is
0: history. How much of an adjustment was uh, recruiting? Was that something you had to? Because obviously you'd been a big time recruit, so you knew it from the player's end. But did it take adjustments or did it take a while to learn how to be a good recruiter from the coaching standpoint?
1: That part came easy. That was the easy part because, you know, it was just because of my personality, you know, and I could just go into anybody's home and You know, have conversation with people. That was just my personality. So recruiting was always the easy part to me, you know, and I could go into any neighborhood, you know, because that's where I come from. You know, I come from South Philadelphia. I come from the urban, you know, section of South Philadelphia. And, you know, if you could make it out of South Philadelphia, you could make it out of anywhere, you know. So for me, going anywhere to recruit was the easy part for me, you know, and, you know, knowing the business of recruiting and knowing the business of college, you know, athletics, you know, made it even much easier. And I wanted to help a whole lot of, you know, kids in the urban areas, you know, to get to college and give them the opportunity to change their lives. You didn't always have to be the best player. You didn't always have the best talent, but if you had to, you was a good kid and had the integrity, you know, you always want that on your team.
0: So you said that was the easy part. What was the tougher part? The tougher part
1: was, you know, getting the yes answers, <laughs> getting the commits, you know, So because you have a board, a list of kids, you know, so you're recruiting this kid, that kid, that kid, you have your A list, your B list, your C list, you know, so hopefully all your A's say yes, you know, so that's the tougher part, you know, getting the, getting the commits. Everything else was easy.
0: How have you, you mentioned Loyola, and then you went to a long career at the University of District of Columbia as an assistant. Um, How did you, grow as a coach during these stops that have led up to you taking over at Cheney?
1: I think the growth came from the different times and the different generations, you know? So I think the game has evolved differently and I think the players have, you know, changed differently, you know? So I think you just have to learn how to adapt. And I think watching coach K go through it, you know, when he never wanted one-and-dones, and now he had a bunch of one-and-dones, you know. So he had to adapt to the new generation in days and times. I just think, you know, watching them go through helped me out a lot, you know, and adapting to at the level I was at. and He had to adapt to a level he was at, meaning Coach K, you know, because Tyler Perry was always, you know, one-and-dones, one and duns, one-and-dones. One one Coach K, four years, dude, graduate, so forth and so on. You know, and, you know, I just think that helped me grow, you know, to get me to this point now where I'm at as being a head coach, because, you know, you have to keep evolving with the game. You know, you just can't stay stagnant. You keep evolving, evolving and keep learning. You know, once you do that, you know, you should have some success.
0: What are you most proud of at this point in your career and in your life?
1: I think besides my two daughters being born, you know, me graduating from college, you know was the most thing I'm probably proud of, you know, because, you know, the odds was against you, you know, the odds was against you, you know, we wasn't, you know, built to go to college, you know, from the neighborhood I came from, you know, if you walked up and down the street, you wouldn't see a college, you know, graduate, you know, at all, you know, so for me making it out of South Philadelphia and getting a chance to use the talent that God gave me, you know, to get to college, and to get out of college and to graduate from college, you know, besides my two daughters being born, you know, I think that's the most problem.
0: And what is your message to kids that are going to be coming to Cheney?
1: The message is, you know, when you come to Cheney, you want to come to Cheney, you know, hey, you're going to get your degree. You know, you're going to graduate. You know, I have a 97 percent graduation rate. You know, so you, you have to go to school, you know, because that's how I was taught from Mr. Ellaby, you know, to Gary Williams, you know, you got to get your degree. You know, so that's not negotiable and you're gonna come here, it's gonna be a family atmosphere. It's gonna be a family atmosphere. You know, it's just not you here for four years and that's it. You know, you and you in it for life, you know, and you're gonna have some success at the end when the ball, you know, come out of the air. You know, the air come out of the ball rather, you know, you're gonna have some success. You know, you get a chance to change your life if you come here to change the university.
0: Terrell Stokes, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat.
1: Thanks, man. I really appreciate it, brother.
0: And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Terrell Stokes for being our guest this week, the new men's basketball coach at Cheney University. If you like the show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts and you want to help us out, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at One On One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.